Chapter 16 of The Countess of Charny by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Widow During the slaying of the last of his adherents, what was the monarch doing? Being hungry, he called for his dinner. Bread and wine, cold fowl and meat and fruit were brought him. He set to eating as if he were at a hunting party, without noticing how he was stared at. Among the eyes fixed on him was a pair burning, because tears would not come. They were the queen's. It seemed to her that she could stay there forever, with her feet in her beloved's blood, living like a flower on the grave, with no nourishment but such as death affords. She had suffered much lately but never so as to see the king eating. For the position of affairs was so serious enough to take away a man's appetite. The assembly, rather than protecting him, had need of protection for itself. It was threatened by a formidable multitude roaring for the dethronement, and they obeyed by a decree. It proposed a national convention, the head of the executive power being temporarily suspended from his functions. The civil list was not to be paid. The king and family were to remain with the assembly until order was restored, then they were to be placed in the Luxembourg palace. Fagniaud told the deposed sovereign that it was the only way to save his neck. This decree was proclaimed by torchlight that night. The lights at the Tuileries fell on the ghastly scenes of the searchers and the mourners among the dead. Three thousand five hundred insurgents, to omit two hundred thieves shot by the rioters, had perished. This supposes as many wounded at the least. As the tumbrils rolled with the corpses to the working quarters, a chorus of curses went up against the king, the queen, their foreign camarilla the nobles who had cancelled them. Some swore revenge, and they had it in the coming massacres. Others took up weapons and ran to the palace to vent their spite on the dead Swiss. Others again crowded round the assembly and the abbey, where were prisoners shouting, Vengeance! The Tuileries presented an awful sight, smoking and bloody deserted by all except the military posts which watched lest, under pretense of finding their dead, pillagers robbed the poor royal residence with its broken doors and smashed windows. The post under the great clock, the main stairs, was commanded by a young captain of the National Guard, who was no doubt inspired by deep pity by the disaster, if one might judge by the expression of his countenance as each cartload of dead was removed. But the dreadful events did not seem to affect him a whit more than they had the deposed king. For, about eleven at night, he was busy in satisfying a monstrous appetite at the expense of a quartern loaf held under his left arm, while his knife-armed right hand unceasingly sliced off hunks of goodly size, which he inserted into a mouth-opening to suit the dimensions of the piece. Leaning against a vestibule pillar, he was watching the silent procession go by, like shades of mothers, wives, and daughters, in the glare of torches set up here and there, 
they were asking of the extinct crater for the remains of their dear ones. Suddenly the young officer started at the sight of one veiled phantom. "'It is the Countess of Charny,' he muttered. The shadow passed without seeing or hearing him. The captain beckoned to his lieutenant. "'Desire,' he said to him on coming up, "'yonder goes a poor lady of Dr. Gilbert's acquaintance, who is no doubt looking for her husband among the dead. I think of following her in case she should need help and advice. I leave the command to you. Keep good guard for both of us.' "'Hang me if Dr. Gilbert's acquaintance has not a deucedly aristocratic bearing,' remarked Lieutenant Desire Maniquet. "'Because she is an aristocrat. She is a countess,' replied the officer. "'Go along. I will look out.' The Countess of Charny had already turned the first corner of the stairs, when the captain, detaching himself from his men, began to follow her at a respectful distance of fifteen paces. He was not mistaken. Poor Andrea was looking for her husband, not with the anxious thrill of doubt, but with the dull conviction of despair. When Charny had been aroused in the midst of his joy and happiness by the echo of deeds in Paris, he had come, pale but resolute to say to his wife, Dear Andrea, the King of France runs the risk of his life, and needs all his defenders. What ought I do? Go where duty calls you, my dear George, she had replied, and die for the king if you must. But how about you? he asked. Do not be uneasy about me, she said. As I live but in you, God may allow that we shall die together. That's settled all between those great hearts. They did not exchange a word further. When the post-horses came to the door, they set out and were in town in five hours. That same evening, we have seen Charny present himself for duty in his naval uniform at the same time that Dr. Gilbert was going to send for him. Since that hour, we know that he never quitted the Queen. Andrea had remained alone, shut in, praying. For a space she entertained the idea of imitating her husband, and claiming her station beside the queen, as he had beside the king, but she had not the courage. The day of the ninth passed for her in anguish, but without anything positive. At nine in the morning next day she heard the cannon. It is needless to say that each echo of the warlike thunder thrilled her to the inmost fibre of her heart. The firing died out about two o'clock. Were the people defeated? Were the victors? She questioned, and was told that the people had won the day. What had become of Charny in this terrible fray? She was sure that he had taken a leading part. On making inquiries again, she was told that the Swiss were slain, but most of the noblemen had got away. But the night passed without his coming. In August, night comes late. Not till ten o'clock did Andrea lose hope, when she drew a veil over her face and went out. All along the road she met clusters of women wringing their hands and bands of men howling for revenge. She passed among them, protected by the grief of one and the rage of the other. 
Besides, they were man-hunting that night, and not for women. The women of both parties were weeping. Arriving on the carousel, Andrea heard the proclamation that the rulers were deposed and safe under the wing of the assembly, which was all she understood. Seeing some carts go by, she asked what they carried and was told the dead from the palace yards. Only the dead were being removed. The turn of the wounded would come later. She thought that Charny would have fallen at the door of the rooms of the king or the queen, so she entered the palace. It was at the moment when Pitou, commanding the main entrance as the captain saw and recognized her, followed. It is not possible to give an idea of the devastation in the Tuileries. Blood poured out of the rooms and spouted like cascades down the stairs. In some of the chambers the bodies yet lay. Like the other searchers, Andrea took a torch and looked at body after body. Thus she made her way to the royal rooms. Patou still followed her. Here, as in the other rooms, she sought in vain. She paused, undecided whither to turn. Seeing her embarrassment, the soldier went up to her. "'Alas, I suspect what your ladyship is seeking,' he said. "'Captain Pitou!' Andrea exclaimed. "'At your service.' "'Yes, yes, I have great need of you,' she said, going to him. She took both his hands and continued. "'Do you know what has become of the Count of Charny?' "'I do not, my lady.' but I can help you to look for him. There is one person who can tell us whether he is dead or alive, and where he is in either case, observed Andrea. Who is that, my lady? queried the peasant. The queen, muttered Andrea. Do you know where she is? inquired Pitou. I believe she is in the house, and I have still the hope that my lord Charny is with her. Why, yes, yes, said Patou, snatching at the hope for the mourner's sake. Would you like to go into the house? But they may refuse me admission. I'll undertake to get the doors to open. Come, then. Andrea flung the flambeau from her at the risk of setting fire to the place, what mattered the Tuileries to her in such desperation, so deep that she could not find tears? From having lived in the palace as the queen's attendant, she knew all the ways, and she led them back by shortcuts to the grand entrance, where Maniquet was on the lookout. "'How is your countess getting on?' he inquired. "'She hopes to find her lord in the house where we are going. As we may find him,' he added in a low voice, but dead. Send me four stout lads to the Fouillant's gate, whom I may rely on to defend the body of an aristocrat, as well as though a good patriot's. All right. Go ahead with your countess. I will send the men. Andrea was waiting at the garden end, where a sentry was posted. But as that was done by Pitou, he naturally let his captain pass. The palace gardens were lighted by lamps set mostly on the statue pedestals. As it was almost as warm as in the heat of the day, and the slight breeze barely ruffled the leaves, 
the lamp flames rose straight like spearheads and lighted up the corpses strewn under the trees but andrea felt so convinced that she should find her husband where the queen had taken refuge that she walked on without looking to either right or left thus they reached the fouillant's gate the royal family had been gone an hour and were in the record office for the time to reach them there were two obstacles to pass the guards and the royal attendants patou as commanding the tuileries had the password and could therefore conduct the lady up to the line of gentlemen the former favorite of the queen had but to use her name to take the next step on entering the little room reserved for her the queen had thrown herself on the bed and bit the pillow amid sobs and tears certainly one who had lost a throne and liberty and perhaps would lose her life had lost enough for no one to chafe her about the degree of her despair and not to seek behind her deep abasement if some keener sorrow still did not draw these tears from her eyes and sobs from her bosom owing to the respect inspired by this supreme grief she had been left alone at the first she heard the room door open but as it might be that from the king's she did not turn though she heard steps approaching her pillow she did not lift her head from it but suddenly she sprung up as though a serpent had stung her a well-known voice had simply uttered the single word madame andrea cried marie antoinette rising on her elbow what do you want i want the answer god demanded of cain when he said what have you done with your brother with this difference returned the queen that cain had killed his brother whereas i so gladly would give not only my existence but ten lives to save his dear one andrea staggered a cold sweat burst out on her forehead and her teeth chattered then he was killed she faltered making a great effort do you think i am wailing for my crown demanded the fallen majesty looking hard at her do you believe that if this blood were mine here she showed her dyed foot i should not have washed it off andrea became lividly pale then you know where his body is she said i could take you to it if i were allowed to go forth said the prisoner andrea went out at the door by which patou was waiting captain she said one of my friends a lady of the queen's offers to take me where the count's body is may she go out with me on condition that you bring her back whence she came said the officer that will do comrade said patou to his sentry one of the queen's women wants to go out to help us find the body of a brave officer of whom this lady is the widow i will answer for her with my head that is good enough for me captain was the reply the ante-room door opened and the queen appeared but she had a veil wound round her head they went down the stairs the queen leading after a twenty-seven hours session 
the house had adjourned in the immense hall where so much noise and so many events had been compressed was dumb void and sober as a sepulchre the queen called for a light Patu picked up an extinguished link lighted it at a lantern and handed it to her and she resumed the march as they passed the entrance door the queen pointed to it he was killed there she said andrea did not reply she seemed a spectre haunting one who had caught her up the queen lowered the torch to the floor in the lobby saying behold his blood andrea remained mute the conductress went straight to a closet attached to the logograph box pulled the door open and said as she held up the light to illumine the interior here is his body andrea entered the room knelt down and taking the head upon her knee she said madam i thank you this is all i wanted of you but i have something to ask you won't you forgive me there fell a short silence as though andrea were reflecting yes she replied at length for i shall be with him on the morrow the queen drew a pair of scissors from her bosom where they were hidden like a weapon to be used in an extremity then would you kindly she spoke almost supplicatingly as she held out the joined blades to the mourner andrea cut a lock of hair from the corpse's brow and handed it and the instrument to the other she caught her hand and kissed it, but Andrea snatched away hers as though the lips of her royal mistress had scorched her. "'Ah!' muttered the queen, throwing a last glance on the remains. "'Who can tell which of us loved him the most?' "'Oh, my darling George,' retorted Andrea in the same low tone. "'I trust that you at least know now.' that i loved you the best the queen went back on the way to her prison leaving andrea with the remains of her husband on which a pale moonbeam fell through a small grated window like the gaze of a friend without knowing who she was Batou conducted marie antoinette and saw her safely lodged relieved of his responsibility toward the soldier on guard he went out on the terrace to see if the squad he had asked of Maniquet had arrived. The four were waiting. "'Come in,' said Patou. Using the torch which he had taken from the queen's hand, he led his men to the room where Andrea was still gazing on her husband's white but still handsome face in the moonshine. The torchlight made her look up. "'What do you want?' she challenged of the guards as though she thought they came to rob her of the dead my lady said patou we come to carry the body of count charny to his house in coqueron street will you swear to me that it is purely for that andrea asked patou held out his hand over the dead body with a dignity of which he might be believed incapable then i owe you an apology and i will pray god said andrea 
in my last moments to spare you and yours such woe as he hath afflicted me with the four men took up the warrior on their muskets and Patu, with his drawn sword, placed himself at the head of the funeral party. Andrea walked beside the corpse, holding the cold and rigid hand in her own. They put the body on the countess's bed when that lady said to the National Guardsman, "'Receive the blessings of one who will pray to God for you tomorrow before him. Captain Patu," she added, I owe you more than I ever can repay you. May I rely on you for a final service? Order me, madame. Arrange that Dr. Gilbert shall be here at eight o'clock in the morning. Pitou bowed and went out. Turning his head as he did so, he saw Andrea kneel at the bed as at an altar. End of chapter 16 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.